Good morning, church. We're so uh, glad that you're here, and I just want to reiterate uh, what Jose said. Uh, if you're a first-time guest, we're grateful that you're here. And uh, we are continuing a series called Signs, and we're taking a, a look uh, through the book of Revelation. If you're new to church, the book of Revelation is probably the most challenging book in our Bible uh, to understand, to comprehend, and certainly to teach uh, to uh, a group of people who may not have ever read the book or potentially uh, may go, I have no idea what it says. And so if you're a first-time guest with us today, uh, we're sorry. Uh, we hope that today is a blessing to you. Uh, and the reason I say that is that today we're probably going to dive into one of the most challenging chapters in all of the book of Revelation. And so I uh, hope that uh, you leave here and you're not thoroughly confused. Matter of fact, if you're uh, a guest or perhaps maybe you're a regular tenor member and you have some questions, I would love to visit with you at our Connections uh, Point, uh, which is right through those double doors on your right and my left. Um, or uh, our campus pastor in Edgewood would love to visit with you about the questions. And he's like, oh, whatever, you know. Uh, but we are so grateful that you're here. And we're, we're grateful for those that are joining us here on the Wills Point campus, as well as those that are joining us in Edgewood right now and those online. Uh, if you have your Bibles, if you'll turn with us to Revelation chapter 12, uh, we're going to begin uh, diving in. Uh, but real quickly, if you're here uh, joining us on either of our campuses and you're wondering uh, what it is that we're really diving into, uh, John, uh, an apostle of Jesus, gets uh, this this vision from an angel of the Lord handed down from Jesus to an angel, angel to John. John gives it uh, really to the churches and then to us. And uh, even in chapter 1, it is blessed are those who preach the word and blessed are those who hear the word. So the idea of us trying to understand that is a blessing uh, to God and ultimately to us as his people. And so when John uh, gives us this incredible vision in Revelation chapter 1, he gets this beatific vision of God on the throne. Uh, Revelation chapter 2 and 3, he gives a, a warning to the churches and uh, tells them what's to come and uh, how they should stay awake, how they shouldn't fall asleep, how they should stay in the game. And then as you continue on from there, uh, you get in Revelation chapter 4, John's called up to the throne. He sees uh, God in Revelation 5. There's a scroll that's going to be opened, and that scroll seemed to usher uh, some judgments of God, and that they bring seals. Uh, those seven seals are open, and as those seals are open, there's judgments of God. Eventually, those seven seals are going to bring forth more judgments, uh, which will be called the trumpet judgments. And then from the trumpet judgments, we haven't got there yet, but eventually we'll get to it. It'll be the bowl judgments, which is the final pouring out of God's wrath. Uh, during that time, he's still bringing salvation, even though there's some challenging things. And all of this is happening in what you call seven-year tribulation period, okay? And so a, a lot of people uh, have heard about a tribulation. And so here, let me just kind of give you a quick timeline. We live in the age uh, now, which is called really the church age. And that means that the mystery of God, his salvation has been made known to Gentiles. But see, God had, had this, uh, this one nation, this nation called Israel. And uh, this nation was his people, was... Uh, a delight and an apple to his eye. The problem was that the nation of Israel didn't do what God had encouraged them to do. And because of that, he set them on a bench for a while. And so if you know team sports, it's never fun to be on the bench. Uh, but here's what he did. He, he set Israel on the bench and he said, you know what? I can get more done with people who will love me, even though they're not the star player. And that's why he called us the church. And we're in the game right now. And uh, there's going to be a time where you're going to get to the last quarter and he's going to give, listen to me, in that last quarter, he's going to give the starting quarterback, Israel, another chance. And he's going to go to them and he's going to go on the bench and he's going to say, hey, listen, I don't know if you've learned your lesson yet. 
You've set out long enough. I'm going to give you a chance. And the game's going to be on the line, and it's going to be a last seven, literally, minutes left, okay? And it's going to be a seven-year period called the tribulation. Uh, it's called the time of Jacob's trouble. And during that time, here's God's purpose. God's purpose is to show him self to the world and ultimately to the people called the Jewish people, Israel. And he's going to bring them to him. He's going to offer them salvation. They're going to be saved. He's going to bring about his purposes. And that's where we are in this book. Matter of fact, we saw last week, he's going to use two witnesses. I happen to believe that those two witnesses uh, are Moses and Elijah, and they're going to preach, and uh, they're going to be killed. They're going to resurrect in front of everybody, and that's when I think salvation is going to come to the people of Israel. And this happens in Revelation chapter 11. But then you get a, this, this scope and this incredible sequence in Revelation chapter 12 that can be thoroughly confusing if you're not paying attention. And so here's what I want. I want you to to zone in, okay? And so pay attention, lean in. Uh, don't let your eyes gaze over. And I would say in Edgewood, definitely, we're watching you, okay? Uh, let me pray for us, and then we're going to dive in. Jesus, we love you. We ask for a spirit of understanding. We pray that you would make something that could be so confusing and so challenging. I pray that you would make it clear. God, I pray that uh, in spite of me, a foolish man, a man prone to leave the God I love, I pray that you would use these words and that you would bless the hearers, that you would give them eyes to see, ears to hear, Lord, that you would illuminate their hearts to see your truth. We love you and we thank you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Revelation 12, uh, starting in verse 1. I'm going to read the, uh, just the first four verses. And uh, when we do so, here's the deal. You're going to see a couple of characters. I want you to underline them. If you have a pen, you can just underline the characters. And then we're going to come back and we're going to touch base on who they are. Uh, and so in verse 1, it says, And there was a great sign that appeared in heaven. So John is, uh, again, unveiling another great sign from the Lord. And uh, he said, There was a woman that was clothed with the sun, with the moon under her feet, and on her head there were a crown of 12 stars. And so you can underline there's a woman. Uh, this woman is pregnant, verse 2, and was crying out in the birth pains and the agony of giving birth. Now what's interesting is, is in verse 5, we're going to see that this woman is actually going to bear, she's going to bear a child and it's going to be a male child. Okay, so you can just underline that in verse 5. Verse 3, it says, now there's another sign that appeared in heaven. Behold, there was a great red dragon. So you're here today and you're like, dude, what? There's dragons in our Bible? Um, like, are you talking about a real dragon? Does it bring fire? Or there's some of you in here, you're like, no, I think that's going to be like a tank in World War III and it's going to, you know. No, it's, it, it's very clearly that if you look further down, like in verse 9, you're going to see who the dragon is. Matter of fact, in verse 9, it says, and the great dragon was thrown down. That is the ancient serpent. It's the serpent of old. You remember him in Genesis 3? And then it tells us very clearly, for us, all of us in here, like me, that are, are challenged in some ways, look at it. It says, it's the one who's called de the devil, the Satan. He's Diabolus. So the red dragon that you're looking at in verse 3 is not some super uh, tank in World War III. It's not a real dragon. It is the dragon, Satan. And it says, and he has seven heads and ten horns, and on his heads there are seven diadems. And we'll get to that in just a minute. And then in verse 4, it says, And his tail swept a third of the stars down to the heaven and cast them to the earth. And the dragon stood before the woman who was about to give birth, so that when she bore the child, he might devour it. And so here's what it's doing. Okay, y'all with me? Right here in those first four verses, it's giving us a span of history from the very beginning of time. 
So here's the history. Uh, If you go back to the very early onset part of your Bible, you're going to see that there were people that were created. You have Adam and Eve. In in Genesis chapter 3, you have the old serpent of old who came and he tempted Adam and Eve. They fell. And because of their fall, they're booted out of God's presence. They're no longer in the presence of God, and they begin to have sin. Because of sin, there's childbearing pains. There's uh, a multitude of things that happen. There's uh, thorns and thistles. That means that when we labor, it's not fun. That's why no one in here is looking forward to work tomorrow. Uh, We have consequences of sin. In spite of this, this sinfulness and mankind, um, God still tries to show his purposes. The problem was that men wouldn't follow him. And so in Genesis chapter 9, eventually God brings about a flood. He destroys the earth, but there's a remnant of people he saves on a boat, Noah and his family. And then they're going to bring about a new generation of people. And then Genesis chapter 12, out of this generation of people, he's going to call one man. His name is Abraham. And he says, Abraham, I want you to leave Ur the Chaldeans, and I want you to go and I want you to be the father of this nation. And I'm going to make you into a great nation. And I'm going to bless you. I'm going to give you land. I'm going to give you people. And I'm going to give you blessings and descendants. And that nation is the nation of Israel. Got me? And I want you to realize that what this nation is, is it's the idea of a reference of a woman. Uh, it, matter of fact, the very first prophetic verse we have about one who would come and crush the enemy, Satan, the accuser, is in Genesis chapter 3, verse 15. Right after the fall of man, there is a promise that eventually that this woman, Israel, would crush the serpent's head. And so the idea is that God is going to bring forth a woman, Israel, a delight and an apple of God's eye. And from Israel, there's going to be, verse 5, a male child. His name is, church answer, here we go. Okay, that wasn't very good. Let's try it one more time. Edgewood here too as well. Who is it? Okay, so here it is. You don't have to be a, a rocket scientist to figure out that this woman right here must be referring to Israel. Now, here's the deal. I want you to hear something real quickly. If you grew up potentially in the Catholic faith, you may have always been taught that Revelation chapter 12 that this woman must have been Mary. That maybe it's Mary and maybe she's going to be the one who bears the child and maybe it's her. The challenge to that is that um, this same woman later on is going to be nourished for 1260 days. And what I think that's referring to, and I'll get to in a minute, is what God does for the people of Israel in the tribulation period. And so I don't think it's a good reference to... um, to Mary, I think a better ref- reference is to the nation of Israel. Matter of fact, what's interesting is, is in Genesis chapter 37, if you remember, there's a guy named Joseph. Joseph was sold into slavery by his brothers, but do you know why he was sold into slavery? It's because of the dream and the vision that he had, and then he told him about it. And it, the, here's the vision. He goes, hey, I had this vision of, uh, of a sun and a moon and, and 11 stars bowing down to me. And then they started doing the math. They're like, okay, uh, there's, there's Joseph, and then there's 11 of us. And so, Joseph, what you're saying is that the sun and the moon, mama and pops, and all of us, 12, uh, these other 11 stars, we're all going to bow down to you? And Joseph's like, yeah, yeah, I think that's what, I think that's what it means. And they're like, dude, we don't like you. So they sell him to slavery. Uh, but here's the deal. There's this reference from the very beginning. The only difference is in the 12 stars here, you look at this, in her hand, uh, it, uh, on her head was a crown of 12 stars. It's, it's clearly a reference that this woman is a picture of Israel and the 12 tribes of Israel. 
Joseph gave you a very clear picture of that in Genesis chapter 37. You still have the picture illuminating even now. From this woman, she's going to give agony of a birth of a child. What that means is, is that Satan, from the very beginning of time, is always going to try to make it, Israel, uh, make it hard on this nation of Israel. You got me? Here's why. If Satan can destroy the nation of Israel, then all the purposes of God are thwarted. Think about that for just a second. If God were not to have Israel to save, then there is no God or his plan. So you go, oh, okay, I get it. That's why Israel is so important. Yes, Israel is really important to God. Matter of fact, in Genesis chapter 12, when he called Abraham to be the father of this nation, one of the things he promised Abraham, he goes, hey, I'm going to make you into a great nation. I'm going to give you land, people, and blessings. And then, by the way, I'm going to bless those who, who bless you, and I'm going to curse those who curse you. And so that's why so many people here in America, they're really concerned about Israel. And the reason why is because they're afraid if we don't stand with Israel, then God's going to wipe us off the face of the earth. And some of us, we think, oh, wow, we need to stand up for Israel because we're their big brother and they need the United States. Listen, Israel doesn't need a big brother when they've got a really big father. You understand? We need to be obedient to God in supporting Israel so we don't get obliterated from the face of the earth. And that's a Genesis 12 promise to protect the woman that God is raising up. So this woman is in reference to Israel. Israel is going to produce a son. His name is Jesus. But the Satan, the serpent of old, Genesis 3, the crafty, cunning one all the way through the Bible is trying to make it especially difficult on the people of Israel. You got that? His goal is, is to obliterate them if he can. The problem is, is that he doesn't have power. All power, all authority is between heaven and earth, and it's all in the hands of Yod and his son Jesus. Verse 3, it says, And another sign appeared. And so there was this great red dragon with seven heads and the ten horns, and on his head there were seven diadems. And so if we've, already, uh, we've already concluded that this red dragon is the serpent of old, according to verse 9, the question is, what in the world are the seven heads and the ten horns and the seven diadems? And so I think the best idea of this is just helping you understand where uh, the power uh, ultimately has come from, from this uh, Satan and, and really what he's tried to accomplish in the past. I'm going to show it to you a little bit more in just a second, but I want you to see verse 4 as well, because it's kind of a panorama of history, okay? And so we've, we've seen the nation of Israel was established. We've seen the persecution there. We've seen that the, the Christ child was born. We saw the persecution there. Uh, we're also going to see uh, the nations in which he brings up, I think in verse 3, I'll show you in a second, but look at verse 4. His tells swept down a third of the stars of heaven and cast them to the earth. And the dragon stood before the woman who was about to give birth so that she bore her child and might devour it. So this is the idea of Satan wanting to what, bring calamity and hardship even to this nation. If you remember, Herod the Great opposed Jesus, wanted to kill him, remember? Uh, told the Magi of the East, hey, if you will report back to me because I would love to go worship this child too. What did he want to do? He wanted to kill him. And so where's that power come from? It wasn't that Herod was all just a, an evil man. He was that. But Herod was an evil man because he opposed God and ultimately uh, was influenced by the old serpent of old. See, when you look at kings and you look at provinces in your Bible that oppose God, they don't oppose God just of natural descent. They oppose God because you're either a friend of God or you're an enemy of God. And if you're an enemy of God, that means that you are largely influenced by the old serpent. Does that make sense? 
And so here it is, uh, this tail swept down a third of the stars. This is in reference to what happened before the nation of Israel was ever established. It happened in the heavens. It's the idea of Ezekiel chapter 28. And so in Ezekiel chapter 28, we know that there was a, a one who's named uh, Lucifer, oh, uh, morning star, the star of dawn, who was swept from heaven. And it gives the inclination here that when Satan fell from heaven, before the earth was ever established, there were the heavens. And when there were the heavens, there were angelic beings. Apparently, the serpent of old, Satan, he went against God. He rejected him and his plan, ultimately wanted to be God himself. God boots him out, and it appears to us that throughout Scripture, in Ezekiel chapter 28, Isaiah 14, but also here in Revelation chapter 12, that they're cast, and they're cast to the earth, and it appears that he most likely took about a third of the angelic room with him. And so that means that now when you see Michael and the archangel and you've got Gabriel, apparently there's two-thirds of the good ones fighting against a third of the bad ones. And you're like, dude, what? Yeah, Ephesians chapter 6 tells us that there are wars being waged in the principalities and the heavenlies that you and I should be aware of that we can't see. We'll get to that in just a second. And so here it is. There's opposition, and the opposition is against Israel, and it's against the Christ child, Jesus, the one to come. And Satan wants to devour this woman and her offspring. Got me? And so then you get to verse 5. It says that she would give birth to a male child and who is to rule all the nations with a rod of iron. Uh, so this, this male child, Jesus, is to rule the nation with a rod of iron. You go, when is he going to do that? And, and for so many of us, we go, well, Jesus didn't come to rule with a rod of iron. He came to serve, not to be served. He, he wasn't a king. No, Jesus was a, a high priest. He was the intercessor. But you know, when Jesus comes back, Revelation chapter 19, he's going to come with a sword in his mouth, and verse 15 tells us he's going to have a rod of iron. See, Jesus is going to rule over all the nations. He's going to establish his throne. And so this is Israel and her child, Jesus, who's going to rule all the nations. But it says, But her child was caught up to God and to his throne, and the woman fled in the wilderness where she is prepared a place. There was a place prepared by God in which she is to be nourished for 1260 days. And so here it is. You've got this, this child who was caught up to God, right? Was Jesus not? He was killed. He was buried. Three days later, he what? Rose again. And after he rose again, he ascended to the right hand of the Father. All of that seems to be what verse 5 is talking about. And then verse 6, it's, it shifts. And it doesn't give you a panoramic of history in the past. It begins to point you towards the future. And so in verse 6, it says, And the woman, which would be the nation of Israel, would flee into the wilderness, where she will have a place prepared by God, in which she is to be nourished for 1260 days. Pause. We're going to come back to it. Okay? Y'all got me? Everybody with me? Edgewood Campus, you with me? Okay, so here's the deal. You've got this pause button in a sense. We're looking at the panoramic of history. But the question is, is what is it all referring to? And, and how in this tribulation period, who are going to be the players in this game? And so we know uh, that the nation of Israel is going to be a major player. We know that Satan is going to be a major player. We know that not only is Satan going to be a major player, but according to chapter 13, there are going to be nations involved, and those nations are going to be major players. The question is, what nation's going to be the biggest player? And so here's what I want you to see that's interesting. If you go back to verse 3 real quickly, it says, And another sign appeared in heaven. Behold, there's a great red dragon, Satan, with seven heads. Now, that could be very confusing when you look and you go, there's seven heads. And you could have lots of speculation about what the seven heads are, but here's what's awesome. In our Bible, God always gives us another source. And in Revelation chapter 13, which we're going to get to next week, 
verses 1 through 5, it very clearly tells us what the seven heads are. And it seems that the seven heads are simply seven major players that have been in the game over the course and the span of history. Those seven players are nations that have raised up and at some point opposed God. Very clear in Revelation chapter 13. You go, well, who are they? Who are the nations that oppose God? Well, I'm glad you asked. <laughs> the very first one that opposed God was a guy named Pharaoh. who said, I will not let your people go. That was Egypt. And after Egypt, you have uh, the Assyrians, and they come up and they oppose God. And when they oppose God, God says, oh, listen, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to protect my people. What's interesting, they go all the way down uh, to Judah, and they are about to destroy Judah. And God says, no, you're not going to touch my people in Judah, even though they destroy the north. That's 722 B.C. Then you've got Judah, who's protected. But guess what? Even they will not follow God. And so you got the days of a guy named Daniel. Remember Daniel? Daniel is, and his people were eventually exiled, and they're exiled at the hands of a guy named Nebuchadnezzar. He was the king of a people called Babylon. And then after Babylon, you would have them. They would get very prideful and haughty. And get this, God never enjoys haughty and prideful people. Matter of fact, when you get very prideful, there's typically going to be a fall. In Revelation chapter 5, Daniel sees for, with his eyes, he sees the fall. And what happens is the Medes and the Persians come in, that's number four, and they sweep in a span of history and they take out the Babylonians. you got the Medes and the Persians. After the Medes and the Persians, there's a guy that's going to raise up uh, in this Grecian family. His name is Alexander the, Alexander the Great. And Alexander the Great is going to conquer the known world. The problem is Alexander the Great, he couldn't stay away from alcohol and women. And guess what? At the age of about 32 or 33, he's dead. And then his nation, according to Daniel chapter 7, is going to fall to four different heads. Uh, And guess what? Four generals are going to rise up. Daniel chapter 7, Daniel prophesies it. And he goes, there's going to be four four generals are going to rise up, and that nation is going to be split into four parts. And it was. And you got guys like Ptolemy. And Seleucius, those guys would rise up and you see it divided. And then after that, guess what? You've got another one. So you got five kingdoms so far. And get, after the Grecians, you got somebody else come along and you got Rome. Rome would come along. And you go, okay, that's six. Well, who's the seventh? Well, according to Revelation chapter 13, one of them is going to be resurrected. Well, Daniel tells us in Daniel chapter 7, I want you to read it with me. I'm going to put it for you up there. I'm going to show you, uh, I'm going to, I was going to show you verse 4, 5, and 6. And uh, verse 4 was talking about Babylon. Verse 5 is talking about the Medes and the Persians. Verse 6 is talking about the kingdom of Alexander the Great and the Grecians divided among four generals. But I want you to look at verse 7. And then I encourage you, a little homework is to take Daniel 7 and just kind of work through that this week uh, from this point on because you'll see more of it. But look at verse 7 uh, of Daniel chapter 7. This is a guy named Daniel's uh, writing um, hundreds of years before Jesus. Verse 7, it says, After I saw in the night visions, behold, there was a fourth beast. And this fourth beast was terrifying. It was dreadful. It was exceedingly strong. It had a great iron teeth. It devoured and broke into pieces. It stamped what was left with its feet. It was different from all the other beasts that were before it. It had ten horns. Okay? And then these ten horns, it says, I considered the horns, and behold, there came up among it another little one before which there were three of the first horns were plucked out by its roots. And behold, in this horn were eyes like that of the eyes of man and a mouth speaking great things. This was Rome. Now what's interesting is Daniel gives you this incredible perspective if you continue to read. And what he's going to show you is this, is that Rome is going to not only be a major player when Jesus was born, 
But eventually, and Revelation 13 speaks of it too, Rome is going to be revived, and here's how it's going to happen. When the tribulation period starts, the seven-year period, Rome is going to have a leader that's going to rise up, and he's going to bring about a ten-nation coalition. This ten-nation coalition is going to come, and out of that ten nations, there's going to be one prominent figure that takes charge. His name is the Antichrist. Satan, the red dragon, is going to give all power and authority to him, and what he's going to do is he's going to rule. And here's how he's going to do it. He's going to do it, first of all, Daniel 7 tells us, he's going to do it in a very crafty, cunning way. How, why? Because that's what the serpent does. You remember Genesis chapter 3? Oh, surely, surely you won't die. Surely, surely God just, he's just hiding something from you, right? And so here's what they're going to do. They're going to come and as a revived nation, they're going to go to Israel and they're going to say, hey, we're for you. We want to make a treaty with you. And the nation of Israel is going to go, yes, we'll do that. And they're going to make a, a, a treaty. And for seven years, this thing's kicked into motion. At the three and a half year mark, though, Daniel says, all hell literally breaks loose. That's the day of Jacob's trouble. And when that happens... Israel's going to be saved. They're going to see their God, and he's going to be their people, and he's going to raise them up. We'll get to that a little bit more. But here's that brings us to verse 6. Look at it. Hopefully it makes a little more sense. It says, And when the woman, the nation of Israel, fled in the wilderness. Why would a woman flee into the wilderness? Because she's oppressed. Got me? Satan wants Israel dead. He wants them obliterated from the face of the earth. And so she's running. And the question is where? She's running to a place prepared by God in which she'll be nourished for 1,260 days. That's three and a half years. So the idea is this. When everything breaks loose at the midpoint of the tribulation, God is going to bring salvation to the Jews. When he does that, he takes the starting quarterback and says, hey, I can use you. It reminds us of what God is doing. And God is simply bringing salvation to a people. And when he does so, they're going to see him and they're going to behold his glory and they're going, to, they're going to worship him. But here's the deal. When you go against the enemy, what does he want to do? He wants to kill, steal, he wants to destroy. And it's no different in the tribulation. And so they're going to run. And what God, I think, is going to do is he's going to give them a refuge or a place. Some would say it's a place called Petra, uh, in which even now... Uh, Americans, even today, when they go over there, they're taking Bibles and food and stuffing it in caves at Petra. That may be it. We don't know. But here's what we do know. God is going to provide. You know how God provided in the wilderness? Manna. Can God do that again? Absolutely. Because God does that for his people. And so what's interesting, they're going to leave the holy city and they're going to flee for the hills. And you go, they're running for the hills. What's going to happen? Well, I'm glad you asked. Verse 7 tells us what else happens. It says, now there was a war that arose in heaven. Michael and his angels are fighting against the dragon. That would be awesome, right? This cosmic war happening for some of you that love that type of stuff. You should dig in here. Uh, it says that they're fighting and they're against the dragon. The dragon and the angels fight back, but he was defeated, meaning the dragon, and there was no longer any place for them in heaven. And the great dragon was thrown down, uh, the, the ancient serpent, who was called the devil, the Satan, was the deceiver, the whole world. He was thrown to the earth and his angels were thrown down with him. So the bottom line is he gets his, his rear kicked. I was about to say something else. He get, I mean, he gets obliterated, and here's the deal. You go, what? Okay, hold on. I'm a little bit confused, and think about this for just a second. You have had two occasions right here in chapter 12 in which you see that the adversary has been tossed out of the heavens. 
And you go, is that the same thing? Is that different? And I would say it's different. So before the beginning of time, you had a revolt in heaven in which Satan and a third of the demonic forces were kicked out of heaven. Got me? But even then, do you know how many times Satan has had an exchange with God that he has the ability to go into the heavenlies? Even Ephesians 6 tells us there's a war being waged now, that there are things that are happening in the heavenlies even now. That's happening even now. It's interesting that Job, uh, Job, uh, you get this picture of uh, Satan, the adversary, approaching God. That's Job chapter 1, verse 12. You see also another picture of the adversary approaching the throne in uh, 1 Kings chapter 22, verse 21, and in Zechariah chapter 3, verse 1. You might even remember Satan uh, approaching God about sifting uh, the apostle, a guy named Peter. This idea that Satan, even though he's been cast out of heaven, still has the ability to go and, and to speak with God and to wrestle with angelic beings. Matter of fact, in Daniel chapter 9, it's a very interesting thing. Daniel prays for 21 days. There is no answer from heaven. It's like it's all shut off. And then eventually uh, the, the uh, angel uh, comes to him and he goes, Hey, listen, you have been praying, but we have been wrestling, wrestling in the heavens. We have been having a war. And God has heard your prayers and he's going to answer. Now, can you imagine that? So you're like, I don't know why I don't get my prayers answered. Hopefully you realize there's a lot more than just you. <laughs> and I'm telling you, you got a lot of different requests. You got some that are going up in places like Uganda or in Syria. And they're praying for things like, God, would you save us from oppression? And then you got Americans and we're like, hey, God, I, I certainly would love this new house. You tell me what's, what's worth wrestling for in the heavens. Your American dream, your comfort, your ease, your preference about music in the church? Come on. I mean, this is real stuff. And so here it is. There's this wrestling in heaven, and Satan's going to be, he's going to be tossed to the earth. And this is going to be the second time he's tossed out. And this one's going to happen, what seems to be at the three and a half year mark. And it is God's final liberation of the planet. And so there will be no more in the tribulation. There will be no more Satan approaching the throne. There is no more war in the heavenlies like it's happening now. Basically, God, uh, he, he kicks his rear and he goes, hey, listen, don't approach me anymore. And then that makes, that makes the serpent of old, Satan, mad, doesn't it? I mean, if you, get, if you get yourself whipped, you're pretty angry about that, right? So look at the response. Verse 10, it says, And then I heard a voice in heaven saying, Now the salvation, the power, and the kingdom of God, and the authority of Christ has now come. For the accuser of our brothers has been thrown down, who accused them day and night before our God. And they have conquered him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony. For they loved not their lives unto death. And so Satan is done. Salvation comes to the Jews. They see who the Lamb of God is. They see his power. And so here's what happens. Look at verse 12. Therefore rejoice, O heavens, and you who dwell in them, but woe to you, O earth and sea, for the devil has come down in great wrath because he knows his time is short. So listen, when this war happens, this war that's been happening over the span of history, Israel being attacked by Satan and his adversaries, God finally gets to the middle of this tribulation, the time of Jacob's trouble, and he goes, no more. And he goes, I conquered you on the cross and I'm going to conquer you once again and it's going to be final authority. And he cast him out of the heavenlies and at that point, the adversary gets angry. And when he gets angry, 
He's going to bring everything he's got. Why? Because he knows his time is short. Basically, we know there's a three and a half year span in which he can do whatever he wants. Do you know what he has the power to do? He has the power to take someone's life. Isn't that what Jesus says? Hey, why do you worry? Because all that someone can do is take your mortal flesh, your mortal body. Do you know that the enemy has no more power over a believer than to take your mortal body? That's it. And that's the hope even in this time. Why? Because we know from Hebrews chapter 7, verse 25, that Jesus is our intercessor. We know from Hebrews chapter 4, verse 15, he's our high priest. We know that from 1 John chapter 2, verse 1, that Jesus is our advocate before the Lord. That's happening even the tribulation time. And so the enemy's going to get mad. He's going to get frustrated. And when he does, you know what he's going to do? He's going to chase after the woman. He is going to go after the nation of Israel, and he is going to do everything he can in his power to try to destroy them. And then God goes, no, no, no. You, 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 don't, you don't get whipped and then come after my girlfriend. <laughs> Got me? And do you know who the apple of God's eye is? Israel. Even now. They're sitting on the bench. They're not major players in the game. Many have rejected them. But he goes, listen, you don't get to swoop in and attack. And so here's what happens. And it says in verse 13, when the dragon saw that he had been thrown down to the earth, he pursued the woman. He had gotten a final, another consequence. When he pursued it, it says, the one who had given birth to a male child, that's clearly Israel. He's running after Israel, the serpent, Satan of old, is running after him through the power of the Antichrist. Verse 14 says, The woman, though, was given the two wings of the great eagle, so she might fly from the serpent into the wilderness to the place where she is to be nourished for a time and times and a half a time. So the idea here is this, that God is going to raise up a wing, uh, uh, an eagle and is going to come and sweep her off her feet. Matter of fact, it gives a whole new meaning to this idea of Isaiah chapter 40, verse 30 and 31. Listen to it. Okay, you, you quote it all the time. You might put it on your little notebooks, but this is something that is specifically, I think, meaning for Israel. Look at, even youth shall faint and be weary, and young men shall fall exhausted. But they who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up like wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not be faint. That's Israel. They're going to see God. They're going to find salvation in him, and he's going to swoop in, and he's going to save them. He's going to nourish and protect them for three and a half years. Now, what that looks like, I don't know exactly, but I know that God has done it before in the wilderness, and he'll do it again in the wilderness. Why? Because the Jews often see God in wilderness-type journeys. Verse 15 says, The serpent poured like water, like river out of his mouth, after the woman to sweep her with a flood. But the earth came to help of the woman and the earth opened his mouth and swallowed the river that the dragon had poured from his mouth. Like he's going to try everything he can to sweep this nation away. And God even just opens up the earth and it swallows the river. Now, I don't know what that looks like. That looks pretty crazy, doesn't it? All we know is that God provides. That's what you should take from that. Then verse 17 says, Then the dragon became furious with the woman, and he went off to make war on the rest of her offspring, on those who keep the commands of God and hold fast to the testimony of Jesus. And then he stood on the sand of the sea. And here's the idea. In this time, there's going to be such calamity and hardship and war and famine and peril and death. There's going to be earthquakes. There's going to be natural disasters. It's going to be a crazy time. And all God is doing is trying to draw Israel back to him. And when he finally gets her, then he's going to take her and he's going to rescue her and they're going to flee for the hills and they're going to be protected by God. And when they're protected by God, you know what that makes the, the enemy do? It makes them angry. 
And so what it says there in verse 17, he takes his eyes off of Israel. He knows he can't do anything with her. He can't, he can't get to her. She's protected. And so he takes, and it seems that he turns his eye to the offspring. You know what his offspring is? His offspring, I believe, from other places, Revelation 5, are the offspring of the tribulation. It's, 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 it's tribulation saints. It's Gentiles who come to faith who don't take the mark of the beast, Revelation 13, 6, 6, 6, you'll see it next week. Those people are going to be saved, but you know what they're also going to be? They're going to be killed. And so Satan is going to turn his attention to the offspring, those that have received salvation, the hope that are not Israel, that are Gentiles, and they're going to be killed. And so you're going to have tribulation saints, and you're going to have people that are saved in this time. Does that make sense? You're like, yeah, I got all of that, Brandon. Let me just conclude with Zechariah chapter 12, verse 10 and 11. Look at this, because this is the hope of this nation of Israel. And it says, I will pour out on the house of David and the inhabitants of Jerusalem a spirit of grace and pleas for mercy, so that when they look on me, on him who they have pierced, they shall mourn for him as one mourns for an only child and weep bitterly over him as one who weeps over a firstborn. And on that day, the mourning in Jerusalem will be as great as the mourning for Hadad, Ramon, and the plain of Megiddo. Israel rejected Jesus the first time, but they'll see God clearly in this tribulation in the time of Jacob's trouble. And you know what they're going to do? They're going to mourn. They're going to praise him. They're going to find salvation. And then they're going to take off running for the wilderness to escape the great accuser. That's all happening in a seven-year period. That seven-year period hasn't happened yet. It is going to. And we wait. We don't know for sure if we'll see it. I happen to believe that we won't because I think the church will be raptured. But either way, here's what you do need to know. God is in charge of all things. All authority in heaven and in earth is his, even in a seven-year period. That's called the tribulation. Let me pray for us. God, we thank you for today. We pray that you would uh, bring some light into the context of this conversation. We ask for clarity. We ask for your help. Lord, just as you have protected people from old, just as you protected a guy like David, um, supernaturally and naturally, Lord, we know that you're going to protect Israel when they're faithful to you. And so, Lord, we pray um, that you would bring them back to you. That this nation, which wants the apple of your eye and is still, that, Lord, that you would bring salvation to them, that you would bring hope, and ultimately that you would renew their strength and they would mount up like wings, with e- like that of an eagle, that they would run and not grow weary, that they would walk and not grow faint. Until then, God, would you help us to do the same thing, to be faithful to you, to love you, and to, to desire to know you better. We love you and we thank you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.